Hello, I'm Tom Hauser. Minnesota state leaders are now back at the state capitol for the start of the 2018 legislative session. On Thursday, they officially got a do-over on a bill that was vetoed by Governor Dayton last spring. It provides nearly $130 million in funding for legislative operations for the next two years. You'll recall Governor Dayton vetoed the funding last year in a last-minute disagreement with the legislature. But after a legal battle this summer where the governor prevailed, he said he would sign a bill to restore the funding this session if the legislature passed it. He will likely sign the bill on Monday when he returns from meetings in Washington, D.C. Because the session didn't start until late February, that means there won't be much time to get things done by the legislative deadline the third week in May. Here is a look at some of the major debates just ahead. The House will come to order. One of the top priorities for lawmakers will be conforming state tax law to the new federal tax bill. Otherwise, Minnesota taxpayers could be on the hook for hundreds of millions of dollars in higher taxes. We don't want to see that. We want to make sure that Minnesotans have the opportunity to uh, enjoy all of the tax relief that was intended for them by the federal government. Everybody agrees we need to do something, and that's a great starting point. So far, there's agreement on the goal, but not the means to achieve it. So far, there's no agreement on what to do about another thorny issue. State worker union contracts that include 2% raises. They were rejected by a Republican-controlled committee last fall. That's our about a thousand state workers demonstrated on the Capitol steps. I'm a mother of two kids. I have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old and a husband who works very hard. And you know, the two two percent now I get choked up. It's an emotional issue. And so is the issue of gun violence. Hundreds of demonstrators from Moms Demand Action made their voices heard in the aftermath of the school shooting in Florida. We're mothers, we're fathers, parents, neighbors, and we're all ready for our lawmakers to take action to prevent the gun violence that is plaguing our country. There will be a lot of debate about gun control and mental health, but too soon to say if it will result in any action. The Minnesota House debated the state worker contracts on Thursday but tabled the bill for possible later consideration. There was no major drama over Senator Michelle Fishbach presiding over the state Senate, even though she now also serves as lieutenant governor. Fishbach presided over opening day in the Senate despite Democrats saying she can't hold both jobs at the same time. Democratic Senator Ron Latz formally objected to her serving as Senate president but did not make a formal motion to remove her. Governor Mark Dayton says he supports student efforts pushing for gun control. The governor says he is donating $1,000 to a GoFundMe page paying for Minnesota students who are going to the March for Our Lives next month in Washington, D.C. Although he believes any assault weapons ban should happen at the federal level, Dayton says there are other steps that can be taken here in Minnesota. Uh, we should do here what I've advocated in the past is close the loophole, the gun show loophole, and make everybody undergo a background check. Protect Minnesota is energized after the school shooting in Florida, but they are also concerned about the gun deaths that don't get as much attention. They went to St. Paul this week to urge lawmakers to vote against two new gun bills introduced this session. They spoke with lawmakers and held a rally in the rotunda. They say the two new bills, Stand Your Ground and Permitless Carry, would not make Minnesota more safe. We're here today because kids across our nation, of all 
ages are doing a better job adulting on the subject of gun violence prevention than the adults. Also on that topic, Democratic Congressman and gubernatorial candidate Tim Walls is changing his position on one aspect of gun control. In a Facebook post this week, Walls told or said he now supports an assault weapons ban in Minnesota. The congressman says he will also no longer accept donations from the National Rifle Association and has donated prior contributions to charity. Minneapolis students are joining uh, this growing national movement calling for stricter gun control. Students from Washburn, Southwest, South and Roosevelt High Schools made their way to Minneapolis City Hall expressing their concerns to city leaders on Wednesday. It's hard for people who can't vote to like, who are too young to like express how they feel. So this is a good way mm-hmm. to like show people how we feel mm-hmm. about the topic. We've kind of gotten to the point where it's like, how many more children and teenagers need to die before something happens? The city council amended the legislative agenda it's planning to send to state lawmakers. They added support for legislation that bans the sale statewide of assault weapons, bump stocks, silencers, and extended ammunition magazines. This is the NRA's worst nightmare, and I think the message to them is we all are coming for them. Families of distracted driving victims are demanding lawmakers pass a bill banning handheld cell phones on the road this session. A group rallied Thursday at the Capitol. You can see them holding pictures of loved ones lost to people driving, distracted, while looking at their cell phones. Because until it happened to us, we thought distracted driving was a problem. Now we realize it's a deadly epidemic. And there will be a fatality today in Minnesota on the roads. And every four days, one of those fatalities is related to distracted driving. It's already illegal in Minnesota for drivers to compose, read, or send texts or access the Internet while in traffic, including at stoplights. But it's not illegal right now for drivers age 18 and older to talk on handheld cell phones. There's a bipartisan bill just introduced at the Capitol aiming to help crack down on opioid abuse. The legislation would bar a pharmacist from filling a prescription more than 30 days after the date the drug was ordered. Wilmer Republican Dave Baker says the doctor would then have to redo that prescription. We don't know if they're current. We don't know if they're still needed. And with today's opioid epidemic, we think that tightening things down a little bit is the right thing to do. According to the Minnesota Department of Health, nearly 200 people died of prescription opioid overdoses in 2016. A group of bipartisan lawmakers are forming the Child Hunger Caucus. They made the announcement on Thursday alongside leaders from Second Harvest Heartland and Blue Cross Blue Shield. They say the caucus will work to identify gaps between current programs addressing hunger and raise awareness about the problem and also help lawmakers find legislative solutions. Evangelist Billy Graham died Wednesday at his home in North Carolina. Presidents confided in him and millions more worshipped with him. And it all started here in Minnesota. On a visit to the quiet, idyllic University of Northwestern campus, you'd never know one of its major influences to this day flows from a fire and brimstone evangelist, Billy Graham. Come to Christ all the way, totally yielded, totally surrendered. Graham's evangelical crusades attracted millions of followers over several decades. He often packed the Minnesota State Fairgrounds, like at this revival in 1973. 
It all started when he was named president of Northwestern College in 1948 at the age of 29. We tell the story to the students and uh, try to help them to understand who this gentleman was. Graham left Northwestern 66 years ago when it was located in Minneapolis. But the Billy Graham Commons building on campus in Roseville is a reminder of his influence. So is KTIS Radio, a station Graham founded by raising money from students. Although Billy Graham took charge here at Northwestern in the late 1940s, his heart was always in evangelism. In fact, it was a trip from Minnesota to Los Angeles that made him internationally famous almost overnight. From Minneapolis comes the young evangelist Billy Graham. Over two months in 1949, Graham preached at a giant tent revival in Los Angeles. 6,500 people a night for nearly two months, making him a legend. The Crusades in Los Angeles were a big part of that. While he was president of Northwestern, uh, those Crusades really put him on the evangelical map, if you will. I do not believe that any man, that any man can solve the problems of life without Jesus Christ. While he could put the fear of God in you, Graham also enjoyed displaying his sense of humor to Minnesotans. The first time I ever came to Minnesota, uh, they said many ha-ha. They said many for Minneapolis, ha-ha for St. Paul. St. Paul is the capital of the state of Minnesota, and Minneapolis is the smallest city over to the other side. Billy Graham was 99. Minnesota lawmakers spent part of their first week back at the Capitol in sexual harassment training. It follows the resignations of two lawmakers accused of sexual harassment last fall. Several female lawmakers wore black on opening day of the session as part of the Me Too movement. House members went through workplace conduct training on Wednesday. The Senate did so on Thursday. They'll also have another session coming up. Governor Mark Dayton ordered his administration to also address sexual harassment in elsewhere in state government. He proposes creating a new office to investigate allegations. On Friday, former U.S. Senator Al Franken wrote to his supporters to thank them. He said it's been a tough few months and told them how much it has meant to him and his family to hear so many supporters wishing them well. Franken continued to say he's not giving up his voice and will continue to keep fighting for the same values he did when he was a senator. The Democrat stepped down late last year after allegations of sexual misconduct from eight different women. Time now for political analysis. I am joined by former Governor Tim Pawlenty Communications Director Brian McClung and former DFL State Senator Ember Reichgott Young. Thank you both for being here. Uh, it just occurred to me after all these years that Young and McClung rhyme. Right. It only took about 10, 12 years for We've me known to that pick for up. Long time. <laughs> you probably have, uh, but no relation. Right. No, no relation. Uh, let's talk about the one kumbaya moment uh, of the session, and it may be the only one. Uh, they agreed on Thursday to pass legislative funding that the governor had vetoed. It ended up in the Supreme Court. A lot of rancor and discord about it, but it passed pretty easily. Clean bill. It'll probably be signed by the governor on Monday. Uh, Ember, why was that so easy? Well, it was easy. It first of all had to be done. But secondly, there's a second chance for the governor. Remember his main objection to that bill originally was that the tax bill had some things in it that he didn't like and was going to make our state fiscally irresponsible. Well, with the tax conformity debate coming up, he gets to revisit that. So he has a second chance. Because if there is another tax bill, that would give the governor the opportunity 
to make some other changes in state law that don't have anything to do necessarily with tax conformity. Right, and that's right. And it goes back, though, to the original situation here where Governor Dayton chose to line-item veto the funding for the legislature, which is not really an appropriate way to try to negotiate. You don't allow a bill to be passed and then after the fact take out the funding for the legislative branch. And so he should have tried to negotiate that on the front end. I think he recognized that over the course of the summer. Now, of course, there's thousands of dollars in taxpayer funds that went to lawyers on both sides of that argument. So that's unfortunate. We shouldn't have had to do that. And I think now the governor is recognizing, hey, we're going to let bygones be bygones. You guys are funded again. And if we're going to have disputes over policy, we can have those going forward instead of looking back. Now, so we don't get too caught up in capital speak. Uh, Ember, explain just briefly, what is tax conformity? It's something lawmakers end up having to do just about every year right. when there are changes in federal law. You've got to make sure state law uh, does not come in conflict with it. In this case, though, this could mean hundreds of millions of dollars in additional taxes if we don't conform our tax laws. That's right. You're right that normally, every year, the legislature has to do tax conformity because there are changes on the federal level and our state taxes are dependent on the federal tax structure. But they're usually small and they're not major. But this last tax bill is so major and has so many ramifications that it affects Minnesota very differently. And the outcome right now, if you do straight conformity, which we've normally done in the past, is that many taxpayers will pay more taxes in Minnesota. So they have to not just conform, but figure out what else to make it worth, uh, make it um, even. Yeah, and one thing that is a big change is the size of the standard deduction. I think it almost doubled, right, in the federal tax Right, law. it doubles under the federal tax law to about $24,000, and so you have to change Minnesota's standard deduction to bring that up. Minnesota's standard deduction is only, you know, around $11,000 right now, so there's a big gap. And so the key thing here is that under that federal tax bill, 90% of taxpayers are getting a tax cut. So the vast majority of people are going to get a tax cut. What's important for the Minnesota legislature is to try to protect Minnesota taxpayers as much as possible, make sure that the benefits of those tax cuts go back to taxpayers. So that's where, you know, getting into this, it is complicated, it's complex. They're going to have to use a scalpel, not a sledgehammer. Uh, but, you know, as Chair David said, set aside your opinions of the federal tax law. It has passed. It is real. It is here. Now we have to figure out how to do this the right way for Minnesotans. The problem is that this is so complex. The federal government didn't really pay a lot of attention to what it did. We're going to get the ramifications of that. Now we're going to do that in a three-week legislative session. This should take an entire session. It should take thoughtful work. I'm afraid the outcome is going to be very contentious. And I know obviously there's a lot of taxpayers out there watching, and you'll want to keep your ears open when you hear the words tax conformity. Sounds boring, but it could impact you in, the, yeah. in your wallet, so you'll want to keep uh, an eye on that. Uh, final topic. It, there seems to be growing momentum to uh, crack down on distracted driving. Uh, Minnesota could become the 14th or 15th state to uh, mandate that you cannot even hold a cell phone in your hand and talk on it when you're in your vehicle. How likely is that to happen? Well, I, it's happened in a lot of states and as you mentioned, a lot of major metropolitan areas. So if you travel to places like Chicago or New York or California, those, it's already the case in those places. So I think it's, it's coming in many respects and probably will get here eventually. I think there are some concerns. People have some privacy concerns and some issues around that. But, you know, it's already illegal. I think everybody agrees people shouldn't be texting and driving or paying attention to their phone. And so this is a conversation that will be had this year. Is this the year? 
We're getting closer, but I agree. I'm not sure we're there yet. This is going to be driven by public debate and public interest, and we'll see if the legislators listen to them. It's not a partisan issue. I know a lot of conservatives are concerned about uh, you know, one more right that is taken away, but we'll see because there's a lot of people out there who've lost loved ones to this, and so it's a very emotional issue as well. Brian and Ember, thanks for being here. Face Off is next. We'll be back in two minutes. And joining us for Face Off today, DFL strategist Sarah Walker is here, along with Republican strategist Brian McDaniel. Thank you both uh, for being here. I know you're excited to be back at the state capitol yeah. for this abbreviated uh, session, just about three months long, in theory. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we've, we've all seen how that uh, tends to work. Uh, Sarah, let's talk about uh, gun control. It was the big topic at the capitol and capitals around the country this week. I saw at least two different rallies at the state capitol just in the first three days, and I'm sure there are more to come. Is it likely to have any difference? Make any I mean, difference? first, I will say it is already having a difference. And a few ways that you can clearly see this is you even see Congressman Eric Paulson has recently changed his position on gun violence prevention measures. He now supports bump stocks. He just recently came out saying he was going to support red flags bills, which help um, allow people, law enforcement and parents, identify people with mental illness and restrict gun ownership for a while. And so I do think you're seeing an impact. The other thing I'll say is that you'll see an impact by the fact that hopefully no bad gun bills will pass as well. And at the rally on Thursday, they were trying to prevent a couple of bills from happening, the stand your ground and the permitless carry. Uh, but then after that, there are more proactive steps that people want to take. How are uh, the gun rights supporters going to deal with this? Well, I think that everybody wants to have a reasonable conversation on this issue. We are so polarized on it, it hasn't happened, and I, don't, I think both sides share some of the blame. On this issue, you know, I have a, a ton of skin in this game. My wife is a second grade teacher. I have three kids in school. I don't own guns. I'm not a member of the NRA, but I'm still very, very surprised at some of the rhetoric that is coming out on this that just isn't true. It's not, it's not accurately depicting uh, what's happening, in, in, especially in the state of Minnesota, where in 2016 there were two homicides with rifles. Two. And it, it is one of those cases where uh, certainly a tragedy is going to get politicized. They always do. But there is obviously a problem. You can't ignore yes. the problem that these mass shootings in schools have become, if not an epidemic, something close to it. They've absolutely become an epidemic and the reality is is that there are common sense gun reforms that can be made and have been on the table for a decade in Minnesota and that no one is responding to and you can easily pass criminal background checks which reduces not only gun violence and homicide but also reduces suicides and I mean I really don't understand why when something that 86 percent of Minnesotans support why we can't at least even have a conversation about it. And I think one thing that, that everybody needs to keep in mind, that no one law or even set of laws is going to stop this from happening. You cannot stop every single incident like this. It just isn't possible without taking away every single gun. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things, too, is I want, I want that number to be zero. I want zero kids to be shot anywhere, but especially in school. I want my kids safe. I want my wife safe. I want everyone's kids safe. Um, but to... to do anything that would have a significant impact on that would not only uh, include 
uh, banning certain weapons, but also confiscation of existing weapons. And for something that is not a problem that we know will be solved, I'm not willing to take away someone's constitutional right because it'll make us feel better. Well, Brian, I don't know anyone who's advocating for bans on guns or registries or confiscation like you just suggested. I literally have never seen a proposal at the Minnesota State Capitol that says that. But moreover, what is happening at the national level is Trump is calling to arm teachers. Law enforcement opposes this. Teachers oppose this. You need to be an expert if you are actually going to stop some sort of violence in schools. And those are the ridiculous sort of rhetoric that is actually creating the hostile environment to have a rational conversation about things like background checks that actually are proven and known to actually reduce gun violence. And what the president's talking about is always a controversial topic. I remember when Governor Ventura brought that up in 99 after the Columbine thing, and people looked at him like he had three heads. And so it is controversial, but I guess you got to put everything on the table. To, to try to solve the problem. But, let, but you, you brought up Columbine, which is very interesting. 1999, during the time where there was the Bill Clinton assault weapons ban, where assault weapons, which is not a real term, there is no such thing as an assault weapon, during that time, Columbine happened. After the assault weapons ban, the DOJ did a study. It showed it did not uh, reduce the number of school shootings, did not shoot, stop mass shootings. We are at a 50-year low in gun violence in America. Last 10 seconds, will anything happen at the state capitol this year in terms of gun control? I, would, I am skeptical that we will make positive progress towards gun violence prevention. I think that it will be, will be a stalemate. We'll be following it closely. Sarah and Brian, thanks for being here. We'll be back in 90 seconds with more honoring the legacy of Billy Graham. We'd like to see what you have to say about that issue. Send us your feedback and let us know what issues you'd like to see covered on the show. Just write to at issue at kstp.com. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for at issue. You can find me on Twitter at T Hauser KSTP. And now you can also listen to episodes of at issue every week on iTunes and podcast one. We have links posted on our website. Just head to at issue page at kstp.com. Now, as noted earlier in the show, evangelist Billy Graham died this week at the age of 99. He served four years as president of what was then known as Northwestern Bible College in Minneapolis. He would become world famous, but frequently came back to Minnesota, including several crusades at the Minnesota State Fairgrounds. We leave you today with the words of Billy Graham to a huge crowd at the fairgrounds in 1973. At Issue will be back next week. Enjoy your Sunday. Come to Christ all the way, totally yielded, totally surrendered. Your mind and your heart and your will and your body, every part of you, and say, Lord Jesus, I'm yours. Those are the people that will be forgiven. Those are the people that will have assurance. Those are the people that will have purpose and meaning in their lives.